0: Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We think of each person that's here and ask you to just give blessings and and comfort to any that need it. We ask your guidance and leading as we open your word and that your Holy Spirit will show us what you would have us to see in your son's precious name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting at verse 3. You shall not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which you shall eat, the ox and the sheep, the goat and the goat, the hart and the roebuck, the fallow deer, the wild goat, the pigarg, and the wild ox, and the cameos, and every beast that parts the hood and and cleaves the cleft of the two claws and chews the cud among the beasts you shall eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat, them that chew the cud, or uh, the not of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the the cloven hooves as the camel and the hare and the coonie, for they chew the cud but divide not the hoof therefore they are unclean unto you and the swine because it divides the hoof yet cheweth not the cud it is unclean unto you you shall not eat of their flesh nor touch their dead carcasses so we're gonna look at this Uh, God in this section we're going to be going over a little bit about the the rules for food and clean food and and tithing and so we're, this has all been gone over in, in Leviticus and everything. So we're going we're gonna to look at it. He says, you shall not eat any abominable thing. And God's definition of abominable is a little different than what we would normally think. Uh, because we would think of things that are stinky and, all, and, and rotted. And God's going to define it a little differently. He says, you can eat the ox, the sheep, and the goat. Okay. The thing, the the three main animals that you uh, that are domesticated, they could eat, the sheep, the goats, and the and the uh, ox, and it can eat the hart or the deer, and the roebuck, which is some form of gazelle, is the nearest thing they believe it is, the fallow deer, the wild goat, and the pygarg, which, from everything I've been able to tell, is an antelope. I said the antelope, yeah, and. Uh, the wild ox and the cameos, which they believe is a is a mountain goat. Yes. Uh, so basically, any of these animals that are in the deer and goat and ox family are pretty much something you could could eat. and so these are what God says you can eat just blanketed and so. Those of us who love deer meat, it's a good thing because it's a good. It is a meat that we can eat, <laughs> and I like deer. I like goat. I like the. I like the wild, uh, I've never tried. wild, wild tasting things. So, gamey, I like that gamey taste. Yes. Uh, every beast that parts the hood and, and cleaves the the cleft of the, into two claws and choose the cud, among the beasts you shall eat. So animals that have the split hooves and and clean between it were clean, and if they chew the cud, which means that they digest their food, regurgitate it and chew it again. Uh, cows do that. Uh, rabbits do that. Many animals graze and graze, and then they stand there regurgitating and chewing their food all over again. So. And that's how they end up digesting it. It's partially digested a little bit, and then they bring it back up, and then they send it to a second stomach usually. So, but those were the animals that they could eat. They had to be dividing their hoof and chewing the cud. You think like do not that uh, mindset um, has a split hoof? No, through their cow, yeah, do not have a. They cleave the cleft into two claws and chew the cud. So I'm not sure how they can... No, have a split hoof. Okay, have a split hoof, yeah, Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then they have to have it so that it can be cleaned. And so these are the animals that are allowed to be eaten on the land. And then he goes into a little bit about some of the animals they couldn't eat. Nevertheless, you shall not eat them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof as the camel, and the hare and the coonie, for they, for they chew the cud, but don't divide the hoof, and they're they are therefore unclean. Rabbits chew, chew the cud, but they don't have a split hoof, because they don't even have a hoof, they have a paw. Uh, camels apparently did not have a split hoof. I've never looked at camels that close. I think they are more like a horse's, which therefore horses would not be edible either. Because they don't have the split hood, but they chew the cud, and they they do have a they have some some form of split. It's not a huge split. Well, the thing about this is a lot of times people will read what God says about what you can and can't eat. Now, some of the things He tells us we can and can't eat have very solid reasons for them because of their health issues, but we also got to remember. God sometimes just wants obedience for obedience sake, not because we can figure out why this makes sense. Uh, when we get to it, tithing is a great example. Tithing makes no physical, you know, you know no logical sense at all to give away your money and have, end up with more money in the process. There's no way you can justify that. It is an act of God in our obedience. And... We see this with some of these animals. Some of these animals we know, rabbit. If you don't eat it at the right time of the year, is not a very healthy food to to eat. Well, they get tumors in their bodies after at certain periods of time. Uh, and I can't remember it was. I know it has to do with whether the month has an R in it or not. But I can never remember whether you eat it in the R or don't eat it in the R. But uh, you can't eat it in the summer. Okay, then, the, then the R, is, then you can eat it in the eat it in the months with the R's because those are all the winter and, and uh, they don't end up with the tumors in them, or they are young, young and don't have the tumors in them. But there's lots of reasons There are some very solid reasons why these animals can't be eaten, and some of them we don't know why. Why it's just that God said don't do it. A lot of them do have a solid reason, and I guess. But, you know, the, point, the, thing, the whole point is, though, we never need to be sitting down and trying to figure out why God says to do something or not do something. He just expects the obedience. But don't people eat a lot of rabbit? Oh, yeah. I love rabbit, too. So, But I eat lots of things. I'm not saying against, against the Jewish law. So it's... Uh, but there is some some uh, aspect oh, so on this. This is, this is the Jewish law. These are what the Jews were not to, yeah. to eat. And it's called the, the kosher laws or the halal diet. And Muslims follow the same, same diet as the Jews do for the most part. And so there's lots of things they so can't eat. Jews, can eat I mean, Unless God convicts you otherwise, yes. I mean, I mean. We are not under the law. The law, uh, the law was designed to show people sin. And these, these particular ones, now, I will say many of these things, if you eat them, are not that healthy to eat. I like pork, but I also don't feel real good sometimes after I eat pork. Pork is just not a real healthy healthy food. But well, I love your bacon. But I love, I love my bacon, <laughs> I love my ham. I, I mean, I, I like certain parts of pork, but if I eat too much of it, I, I don't feel sauce. good. Uh, but... So we look at this and, you know, why some of these things were not there again. God knows why he did it. And he probably has a reason that he didn't tell us. He just says, don't do it. And we've been able over the years to see how his laws have protected people. The Jews were not affected by the, the Black Plague during the Middle Ages because they followed the cleansing laws that God said to do. If they found rodents crossing over their plates, they washed the plates with running water. Of they washed their hands. But most people didn't do that back then. Uh-huh. You say, of course, but you, in that day, that was a not a normal thing because water was so precious. You did not waste your water cleaning a lot of this stuff. Your plates didn't always get cleaned bef- between meals. Uh, you took your bath once a year whether you needed it or not. Uh-huh. This was a time when... Water was scarce and precious, so people did not waste it on that we use water for in our day. And so they would wash their hands, they would wash their plates, they would you know, do all these things. If food had, had rats on it, they would get rid of, the, rid of the food, and they did not get the plague because they followed God's rules. Once something's been used for something else, they cannot use it. Very strict Jews have plates that are for meat and plates that are for veg- uh, dairy. So and you cannot step mix step the step. two. Uh, the swine, because it divides the, the hoof, yet choose not the cut. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat of its flesh, nor touch their dead carcasses. So this is serious. If you touch a dead body, period, you are unclean. If you touch the dead body of an unclean animal, you're, you're really bad off. Yes, you're not... They would have these these animals removed by aliens that aren't Jews, you know, they would, you know, people that were not Jews were the ones that would remove these, these animals, but we, again, we look at this, and again, I just want to bring out, we don't try to figure out why God says to do something, we just learn to be obedient, because even for Christians, we're told to love one another, some people are hard to love, and yet God says love them. We're to forgive one another. Some people are very hard to forgive. Isn't it hard to forgive somebody that keeps doing the same thing? And we think about Peter. You know, Peter went to Jesus. How often should I forgive my brother? And he said seven times. Okay, and he was being very generous because the the Jewish leader said all you had to do was forgive him three times. So he's doubling what they said to forgive and thinking he's being really generous. You know, well if we forgive him seven times, we're being really good. We're doing twice as much as the as the, the leaders, and Jesus told him 70 times seven, and that does not mean 490 times, it means just keep forgiving them. And so we want to be, we want to look at this, sometimes God asks us to do things that don't seem to be logical or make sense, but when we obey him and then we see the blessings, when we forgive people, when we are loving people, we get to see their life change, when we do these things that God tells us to do, we see, the, we see God moving in the obedience. And this is something that's very true for us. Are we bound by these Jewish laws? No, because that's what the first church says you know, in the first century. They go, we got all these Gentiles coming in. We're not going to make them get circumcised. We're not going to make them follow all these laws. We ask them to abstain from blood and not worship idols. Those were the only two rules they put on the, on the early church. Why? Because the Gentiles weren't raised to be uh, Jews. So they, And they're going, well, we can't even keep the laws. Why would we make these new people under grace follow all these rules? So we look at this, and we see God moving. And I, like I say, some of them have very strong reasons for not, not to, especially when we get into this next section on fish. Um, which we're going to go ahead and read, verse 9. And ye shall eat all that are in the waters, all that have fins and scales you shall eat, and whatsoever has not fins and scales you may not eat of it. It is unclean. All right, so anything that's that's in the water that's a fish with scales and fins you can eat. That means most of my favorite things in in the water I can't eat. No shellfish, no catfish, no, catfish, no sharks, uh, no dolphins, which aren't fish anyway. But if it's in the water, you can eat it as long as it has fins and scales. I can't think of any fish that Pan doesn't fish is good. huh? Panfish is good. Just about any fish is. So, but you know, the ones that God forbids are the scavengers of the water. They have, they're not very healthy things to eat. Catfish clean up the clean up the bottom of it and they're bottom feeders. Shark are are basically scavengers. They eat live things, but they're, they'll also eat anything that is in the ocean. No shellfish is allowed because it usually picks up all the garbage of the sea as well. So God knew what he was doing when he banned all these different items that were not allowed to eat. And for me, I dearly love most of the stuff that I'm not allowed to eat. And can't eat most of it anyway with my gout, so, huh? much cholesterol. I don't know if it's what it is, I just. but they're they're not healthy for us to to be eating. But God made it so they could pretty much whatever they caught in the ocean they could eat or in the sea. And uh, that's good because I'm eating eating that stuff. <laughs> that's the best stuff. So of all the clean birds, you shall eat. But these are they which you shall not eat. The eagle, the ostafrage, the osprey, the gleed, the kite, the vulture after its kind, and every raven after its kind, and the owl, and the night hawk, and the kook cow, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat, and every creeping thing that flies is unclean to you, you shall not eat of it, but all the clean fowl you may eat. So here he gives, instead of saying what birds you can eat, he gives you a list of the birds that are not something you eat. And you'll notice about most of the birds that are listed here are that they are carrion birds. They they eat the dead they'll eat the dead things. Yeah. So I mean it says you shall not you shall not eat the ossifrage, and what from my that? research, it's a type of vulture, oh. and or the osprey, which is a, some kind is a type of hawk, the gleed, which is a kite or a falcon, is what I was what I looked up and found. <laughs> That's a, mine said buzzard. Buzzard. <laughs> well, I didn't find that as it, but. I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with some of these things when when we've talked about this before when we get into very specific words in the in the for, in the ancient languages we don't always know what they mean when they start naming animals that's a branch of science and it's just like us unless you're a bird lover you probably don't know the names of half the birds or a and a lover of cat, you know, the different big cats or something. You don't know all that. you know, this is, and this is the same thing when we start reading about plants. Sometimes it's the same thing. We don't necessarily know exactly what they're talking about because horticulture is a very specific word. In Psalms, we find this all the time when they throw out music terms at us, and our, and our uh, scholars, they know the regular language, but they don't know the very specific words, just as some of us, if you're not into music, you wouldn't know all the different musical terms that are out there. You might know a few, but you may not, probably don't know all of them. And we see this in all kinds of different specifics. If somebody is into woodworking, there's all kinds of terms in woodworking that mean nothing to me because you know, they'll, they'll talk about this particular tool that does this and gouges this and you know makes this pattern. And so I just bring this up because we talk about these things and we make our best educated guess at what some of these things are. And we can do the same thing in English. I mean, if you're not, if you're not a, a carpenter or mechanics even have language and stuff that they talk about all the time. There's parts of vehicles and cars that they use. And if you're not you know, a mechanic, then you could get lost in their, in their language. Uh, every profession has the same thing where they have terms in their profession that mean mean everything to the people in the profession but don't mean anything to people outside the profession and so here we're, we're dealing with particular types of birds that we're gonna give our best guess to so when we have different versions of define it as something else I'm not going to get really uptight about it I'm not trying to follow their laws so I really don't need to know what birds, what what exact bird it is. Uh, I'm not gonna eat falcons and ravens and eagles and vultures because of what they eat is not what I want to be feeding myself on. So there's certain birds you just animals you just don't eat because of what they you know what they eat. Uh, let's see, where did I leave off? The the kite which is a type of, type of a falcon, it's a, it's a hunting bird, the vulture after its kind, or the raven, or the owl. And in this particular case, this word in, in Hebrew is the daughter of the owls, which I'm not quite sure what that means either. Uh, you can't eat female owls? I don't know I don't know what this means. Uh, the night hawk, the cacao, and any other hawk after its kind, the little owl or the great owl. And the great owl is, uh, where's my note on great owl? I lost my note. Oh, well. <laughs> and the swan, the pelican, the gear eagle, which is a, is a, a carrion vulture. Um, the cormorant which is a, it's kind of interesting i looked up cor, cormorant does anybody know what a cormorant is it's still a bird that we have out there right now it's a seabird dives in from altitude and snags fish under the water yeah the way it's defined in the dictionary a large greedy seabird with a smaller beak well most seagulls anything in the seagull family is greedy anyway they fight each yeah, other and right. Yeah, an attack and everything. So, but it was just an interesting definition that, they, that the dictionary put in there. The stork, the herring, the lapwing, which is a crested, short-tailed bird with a, a wailing cry. A crested bird and with a short tail and a wailing cry. So, And the bat. You're not allowed to eat bats. Which, I don't know why they put the bats in the in the... In the bird section, but it's something that flies, so it get put in the bird section. And then any creeping thing that flies is unclean to you, so any of the flying insects are not allowed to be. But again, we have this list of animals that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat. Now, one thing about the Jewish diet and, the, and what the Jews did is they, it made them stand out in the crowds. All right? They, they already stood out in the crowd because they were considered lazy people because they said they take a vacation every week. They take a one-day vacation every week. And this was in a day and age when you worked seven days a week. It is really a relatively novel idea to have weekends off. It's not been that long that that's been true. And now we're trying to push it even further. Let's have three and four days off and only work. You know. We're starting to become a very lazy people but the Jews were considered a lazy people by most nations because of their their demand that they were going to take one day off a week, and now you, then they turn around and they look at them and they're they've got all these foods they can't eat, all right. And this was in a day and age when again when people would, if something died, they would eat that eat the uh, eat the animal that just died on its own, uh, because it it didn't cost them a breeder or And they didn't have to hunt it, it just died and it was something that they would eat. And we already know that usually they die die of diseases and those diseases probably aren't good for us either. God has all these different rules in here and the Jews had these rules for their protection. Verse 21, you shall not eat of anything that dies of itself, nor you shall give it unto your stranger that is in your gates and he may eat it, or you may sell it unto your alien, but for you are a holy people unto the Lord... You shall not see the kid in its mother's milk. you shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed and the fe- and that the field bringeth forth year by year. You shall eat there before the Lord your God in the place where he shall choose a place to, to place his name there, the tithe of your corn and of your wine and of your oil and of the firstlings of your herd and of your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Well 21 is God's rule. you cannot eat the food that dies. On its own accord, this is something that God says because because people were willing to take it. This is a time when people ate this t- stuff that if it died. They just ate it. Now we we know better in our day and age that it's not wise to eat food that just dies on its own unless you know it's a dying of old age, and then usually you don't want to eat it because the 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 meat is so tough because it died of old age. In this particular case, he's. God is protecting his people, but he's saying, you can give it to people who aren't Jews. Having said that, not everything that dies on its own is going to hurt us all that much anyway. And because in, even in this country, we've, we've lived on those kind of things. And, and our production slaughterhouses, that kind of food, illegally gets put into our food supply sometimes. Okay, it's not necessarily going to kill us or make us even sick, but it's just it has that chance, so it shouldn't be done. And God is saying here, you, my people, are holy. You're going to set yourself at a higher standard. And this is something that is a point for each one of us as Christians. We are to live holy, not necessarily follow every one of these rules, but we need to live in a lifestyle that's different from the world. What the world can do is not something that we as Christians should be doing necessarily. And this goes into all aspects of our life. And we want to be very careful. In the employment, we need to be good workers and earning our pay and striving to do good work. And not like the world, because the world does as little as they can get away with. And, that, and we all know that. We've all, we might even have caught ourselves up in that, ourselves at times, doing as little as we can, could get away with doing. Or we were very honest with our employers because God said to be honest. And I've, I've shared with you, I was, I was shocked in one company because I would always be going on break and people were on break and then they would still be on break when I was going back at the end of my break. And sometimes there would still be a break later on. We see this happening the world has a different standard. The world is saying, how little can I do and get away with it? As Christians, we've been saying, we're working as unto the Lord, not as men pleasers, because God is the one that we're trying to please when we work. We we are to be honest in our dealings with people, and especially in our day, you have to have an ironclad contract, and that may not be enough to to get you your contract fulfilled because if they've got better lawyers than your lawyers, they'll rip the contract to shreds. And yet God says let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. If you say you're going to do something, God expects us to do it. Or don't say nothing. Or don't, say, don't agree to do it. <clears throat> but if you tell somebody you're going to do it, we need to be able to do it even if it's to our own hurt. We fulfill what God, what we say we're going to do. And this is something that just little areas where we keep our, keep our word. In marriage, we make vows before God to stay married to, until death until do you part. And yet, most people in the world are getting married until we don't love each other. <laughs> until I have some reason not to want to be together, and then I'll, then I'll divorce you. Now, God does have the, the, gra- the grounds for adultery, but that's still somebody not obeying their, their covenant that they made before God. Forsaking all others, we see this. Christians should have the highest level of integrity when it comes to obedience to God's rules. Christians couples should be have integrity and stay together. And this, many Christians do stay together even to this day, and yet many don't. And it's sad because of the uh, statistics are telling us that Christians have just as many divorces as the as the world. And that's a sad fact. Now, one person pointed out that Christians are about the only ones getting married as well in this day and age. Uh, so that kind, of ma- kind of balances out. If the only ones getting married are also getting divorced. Uh, but, but there's still a sad thing that Christians get divorced. Because they're making a vow before God to stay together. They're making a vow before God to be joined together. And we need to be able to understand that when God says something, we need to live it out and be honest. And we've talked about that in, in Deuteronomy, um, in Leviticus, he tells us that when God says that a lie defines a lie, it's not telling the whole truth, not telling everything you know about, about the item. Okay, that's not the, lie, that's not the way the world defines a lie. Yeah. You didn't ask me. I didn't lie to you. <laughs> you didn't ask me about that. I didn't lie. I didn't, I didn't say yes or no. And we need to be careful because there's, there's sins of commission, things that you do, and sins of omission, things that you don't do. And sometimes we can be just as guilty for things that we don't do. And we look at what God says to do and not to do. And we need to be able to say, I'm being honest. I'm following integrity. And we need to be able to look and say, am I walking as a Christian, as somebody with great integrity and honesty that people can trust? If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I tell you I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. If I'm making a pledge to my spouse. I need to be honest and keep that pledge. We need to be people that are very much above the world's standard. And we need to be at that place because God has high standards for us. We're his children. His rules and his laws are based in who he is. Not so much the eating laws, but all of his laws on don't do and 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 what to do or not to do, are based in who he is. Why does he expect us to be honest? Because he is absolutely true. Why does he expect us to, to not kill? Because he created man, and he, does, and he is the one that gives life. Why do we not take his name in vain? Because he is God. He is absolutely holy. Why do we not covet after everything? Because it belongs to somebody else and God puts in the possession. All through the scriptures, he tells us the world is his. So we wanna be very careful when we look at these things that God has a place for us as Christians to be walking with great integrity. We look at how the world changed. The disciples turned the world upside down by preaching Christianity. Christianity cared for people created orphanages do you realize that before christianity really started orphanages an unwanted child was just kicked out on the street and probably would be dead within a year or two you just got rid of the kid it didn't matter what you know the kid was worthless it was just a possession as far as they were concerned christianity brought orphanages in christianity developed hospitals to help care for the weak and, and before Christianity, it was pretty much if you got sick, the doctor would deal, treat you. But if you kept getting sicker, then you deserve to die. And that was the way they looked at it. If you lost a limb in the battlefield, you were just too weak to be cared for anymore. And you'd be left behind on the battlefield and, to die. There was no compassion, no love, no care for people. The sad thing is, as we're seeing the world pull further and further away from Christianity. The more we're starting to see us return back to this mentality of the worthlessness of life. If you're not strong, you don't deserve to to live. We're seeing children butchered in, in abortion because they're just not wanted. We're seeing people that get beyond their useful life and being encouraged to commit suicide so they don't use up their families' inheritance because you know you don't do, you know you're you're too sick you're not worth anything go go kill yourself you know we have abortion we have euthanasia we have assist, physician-assisted suicides just because you don't feel you deserve to live we've got to be careful because life has been brought to the point where people do not understand how special it is and we've been doing this by teaching people number one that they are just evolved beings if all you are is an evolved being, then your life really has no meaning to it. Because you're just a animal. An advanced animal, but an animal. And this is why we're seeing people doing killing sprees, and then the last person they kill is themselves. Because there's no value to life. And they're willing to just take life. And we need to be careful of this, because God is the founder of life. We have... Life has value because God created life. Life has value because God says it has value. He said that when he created life that it was very good. And we need to be very careful of all this. It's very sad in this day that you can kill the baby in the womb, but don't even destroy eggs of certain birds. Uh, Why? Because there is a mentality that animals are more precious than humans. The world is believing that humans are a plague upon this earth. We're destroying it. And because we're destroying it, we don't deserve to live. And this is what the ultimate on the green side is, that they say there's way too many people. We need to get rid of lots of people. And they, and they love the idea of abortion and euthanasia and, and suicide because as far as they're concerned, there's way too many people in this world and we're destroying it. But that's the satanic version of looking at man Satan hates mankind with a great passion because God created us in his image and he said that he wants us why he wants us I have no idea but he wants us (laughs) he died for us and Satan is trying hard to have men kill themselves and destroy themselves and to not see the value of life because of his hatred to us And I'm not saying these people hear his voice directly, but he's the one influencing them in these decisions. He's the one that's influencing them in their decisions. And we need to be praying for this world. We need to pray for the people in this world because we're seeing it get darker and darker. And more and more murder and death is happening. We've got religions based on death. So we need to be very careful about all of this. And God is saying you're to be separate. You're to be separate. Life is so special. And then he tacks on this, you shall not see the kid in its mother's milk. The Jews take this that you cannot make a cheeseburger or a ham and cheese sand. Well, you couldn't have ham anyway. Uh, you couldn't have a roast beef chant sandwich with cheese on it. You couldn't have a Philly cheesesteak because of, you know, because of this particular statement. Now this statement actually comes from a fertility goddess practice. If you wanted to have a child, you would take in the young goat or young lamb and you would boil it in its mother's milk, and it was a I it was believed that it would bring fertility to you. And this was a practice from the fertility goddesses in that area. Basically, he's saying don't worship and don't worship the fertility gods, but the way the Jews apply this is they can't eat, eat meat and cheese together. And as we talked about it, you can't even put meat and cheese on the same plate that has ever had cheese on it. Once it has cheese on it, you can never use that plate again for meat. So they actually get different plates and they will make sure they use the right ones. And the same thing with pots and pans and all these things. You have some that can be used with milk and cheese and you have some that can be used with meat because of this one phrase in there, not to, not to eat, the see the goat in its mother's milk. You've got to understand, when they, they take this very serious because this is something that is extremely serious to them when it comes down to it because they cannot mix it. And once it's touched that plate, as far as they're concerned, it is never clean enough that there is absolutely no chance that there's dairy or milk on it. You have two sets of plates. Two sets of silverware, two sets of pots and pans. If, you have, if you're going to have milk or cheese product in it, you use one set. If it's going to have meat, you use the other set and never do you use the use them on the opposite, opposite thing. They have separate cutting boards. It's just the extreme on here is that you wouldn't even put them in the same dishwasher or the same washing area because they may pass over. It has everything to do with this statement which was a forbidding of a fertility goddess practice and yet it's taken and this is something we've talked about this especially in the Jewish Jewish religion. They, They are very proud of the idea that they put what they call fences around the law. Here's God's law and we build this great big fence around it and the reason for it is we don't want you to accidentally vi- violate his law okay so they make some very strict rules around god's rules so and they know and they know that they've added to it they're just wanting and they and they're pretty proud most of them are pretty proud of this rule is here so that You don't accidentally, you're going to have two sets of plates and and silverware and, and pans so that you don't accidentally somehow leave a crumb of that dairy or the crumb of the meat on a plate and transfer it over and violate this law. You're not going to eat any of these foods, you're not going to have them anywhere near you because you might accidentally consume this. They have huge rules on what you can and can't do which constitutes work. And it's kind of funny. Uh, I went into a Jewish friend's house one time, and it was coming on sunset on a Friday, and all the cabinets were open. And I was going to go close the cabinet. He goes, "You can't do that." I'm going, "Why?" He goes, "We can't open the cabinets after the sun sets." If you go to Israel, Sabbath elevators that stop on every floor, so that you don't have to push the button. This is the extremes of how they go. They've got a huge, they've got a huge book on, on that's bigger as, as bigger than bigger the Bible just on the rules that you can and can't do to, to not violate these rules. And we laugh at them and everything, but you know, we need to be careful about that because we as Christians kind of do the same thing sometimes in, <laughs> in so our lives. And it wasn't so long ago that in, even in Christian churches, in the, you didn't do anything on Sunday. You went to church, you went home and had a very light lunch, a meal, because you weren't the mom wasn't allowed to work either, and you you the children weren't allowed to play. You just sat there all day long until you went back to church that night, and had a church service, and then you came back home. So it's not been very long that you know since it's been done even in Christian church. We're going to continue here. The and you shall eat, verse twenty two. And you shall sure, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed and and that the field brings forth year by year. So again, he's now talking about tithing and tithing their their increase on their fields. And for that matter, they also had to give the first and best of the the vegetables and fruits to God. This is not talked about here, but the first fruit offering went to God. You gave him the the very first thing he said. And it says, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose, the place is named there, the tithe of your corn and of your wine and of, and, the, and of your oil and the first things of your herd and of your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. What they were doing on here is when they took their tithe to the temple, they got to consume part of that tithe as well because it was, an, it was being offered to God so they would eat it before them. Now, you think, well, that's kind of strange. You're getting to eat the tithe. Well, you've got to think about this. If you're giving a, ten, a tenth of your entire wheat crop, you're not going to eat very much of that tenth. If you're giving a tenth of your, your increase on your sheep and your goats and your, and your cattle, you were probably bringing one or two of each of them at least, or three or four, depending on how big a herd you had. You're, again, not able to eat a whole lot of this then we've talked about this, is that the tithe then went to the Levites. Now the poor would also come to the temple because the, the temple was where the poor got their food from. They would go to the temple and they would be fed out of the tithes of and offerings of the temple. And then the Levites would get their part of it and they would tithe to the priest and the priest would tithe to the high priest. It used to be, even in very recent days in our country, the churches took care of dealing with the poor. Why was it good for the churches to deal with the poor? Because the churches knew the people. They knew which man in town had broken his leg and couldn't harvest his field and needed help, and they would arrange for the, the helping of that man. But they also knew who the lazy man was who just didn't get off his butt and harvest his, his fields. And they go, no, you can have help because you really need it. No, you're just lazy. You're not getting help. And this is something that, unfortunately, in our day and age, the government is trying to help the poor. And I take it you on know, that's good. But they're trying to do it with these blanket rules that reward the lazy and those who really need help. And we see this over and over, and now we got almost everybody on the dole, whether it's corporations or businesses or, or, or the, the people who truly have needs and the, and those who don't have needs. And people are redefining needs into something that God would never have defined a need in. Well, if there was no increase, number one, if you were following God, your rules, you're going to be blessed. And God told them that. Usually, even in a drought, you get something back. Maybe not as much as you... Well, Anything would be an increase because what is, what's the rule of sowing and reaping? You reap more than you sow. All right. When you plant a, a seed of corn, you're not expecting to get one seed of corn back from that plant. And anybody who knows it, even if you only get one ear of corn back, that's a lot more than you put into the ground. And this is true of all plants. You get more back than you, than you plant. And... You know, you plant a seed for an apple tree and you get a whole tree that, you know, will produce apples. So even if you only got three or four apples, you still got an increase over what you planted. (laughs) But it is also true that when you honor God, and many, many of you have given me this testimony, when we honor God with our tithes and offerings, he blesses us in return. And this is what his promise was to them. When you get into the promised land and you... Harvest your fields. If you tithe, you will be blessed. All right. God does this for us when we are obedient to Him in the tithe. He blesses back. And I love the statement, and it's been given for many, many years. You cannot outgive God. And those who have tried find that you can't outgive God. He keeps pouring. You you take a you take a huge. Uh, shovel and give it to God and he dumps a dump truck back over. You know, it just is the way that God works. And I've been giving, or we've been giving our tithe for all of our life. We've never been without a home. We've never, you know, we've never, you know, have we gotten rich from it? Not necessarily, but we've always had all of our needs met and then, then some. So in this case, it says you shall truly tithe your increase of your seeds if they're, really look at it, going to be, there's going to be an increase. It just is the way it is. When you honor God, he honors in return. And we see this over and over. And again, this is one of these things that's very counterintuitive. Give God 10% of your money, and the 90% goes a lot further, and he keeps blessing and giving you back. The world says the world, and I've seen many Christians do this, well, I'll give God if there's any money left over at the end of the month. After I get done paying my bills, I'll give God the money. Well, I tried that one time in my life. You know what? There was never any money left over when I took that mentality. Now, the very first check that's written is the tithe check. It's, it's right there in the budget. It's, okay, we made this much money. This much money is, goes to God and we're above the tithe. We don't, we don't just tithe. But, and, but that's the first check written. And you know what? It, most months, there's still money left at the end, and there's, the bank account is growing. Not, mo, not by leaps and bounds, but you know God has put money in there so that when I need something to be fixed or something to happen, the money is there. And this is also the only place where God says, try me. In tithes and offerings, he says, try me and see if I won't give you this. And Am I going to go like some of these name it and claimants? Give God $1,000 and he'll give you a hundredfold. No, we're not going to go there with that at all. But if you give God his tithe, he blesses. The, the 90% that's left gets stretched. You, get the, you find the deals that you need. You find the, the specials. Uh, and God returns back to us. And will open up the windows of heaven and, and give back. We just need to trust him. And this is one where he's saying, I want you to trust me. Give me your tithe and, and trust me. And then they were able to eat it. And then it says in verse 24, And if the way be too long for you that you are not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from you, which the Lord your God shall choose to set his name there on, when the Lord your God has blessed you. So this is the idea that they only had one place to worship and offer sacrifices. When they first come into the promised land, it is going to be at the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is going to be in Shiloh for many centuries. It will be in Shiloh. David takes Jerusalem and moves the tabernacle to Jerusalem, which is more central in in Israel, but it's still a long ways. If you live in northern Dan, that's a long trip to carry all this food and stuff down. So God's saying, if it's too far... He gives them permission to sell it. In verse 25, Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand, and you shall go to the place where the Lord your God shall choose, and you shall bestow the money for whatever your soul lusts after. And a better word in here in the uh, Hebrew is desires or craves, not lust. Lusts after or craves after for ox, or for sheep, or for wine, or strong drink, or whatever your soul desires, and you shall eat it before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. So this meal that you're to have at the the temple was to be a rejoicing. It was to be a big deal. It was a feast that you were doing because you were giving God. Now, in the New Testament, Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver, or literally hilarious giver, hear God saying, you're going to rejoice. You're going to have, you're having a share of this, but you're going to, you can, you can spend that money for anything you want and you can enjoy a party with God as you're giving him his, his part. Yeah. I can't, I can't even picture what this would be like around the tabernacle in the temple. All these people there celebrating. Now, during this time, remember the tabernacle is in the very center of the, of the, of the people and they're all in a very tight group because they're in enemy territory but once they get to the promised land they're gonna spread out over all of the promised land from down in the south close to Egypt all the way to the north up by Dan all the way from the Mediterranean all the way across the the Jordan there's gonna be a large area that they cover and God's saying be cheerful you're giving to me be cheerful and very important, he's saying, be honest with your tithe and be cheerful with it. And they be having a real party there. My translation says they can get some wine or fermented drinks. Yeah, they can do anything. Yeah, strong drink, strong drink, fermented drinks. So they were going to have a good time. They were go- the purpose of this was to have a good time with God. One of the sacrifices, if you remember, was the Thanksgiving offering where you took your animal and it was... A part of it went to God, the the shoulder, the the head, the fat, and the innards went to God. The priest took part of the other half, and then you were given half back, and you had to have a party to get rid of it. So especially if it was an ox, and you only had one to two days to get rid of it, God was really encouraging you to have a party. Invite all your friends to have this celebration with you, to eat this food. This is the same type of thing. God is saying, I want you to be joyful. He wanted his worship to be a joyful activity. And this is the one thing I love about our church and the churches that I go to. We need When we come to church, we need to be happy about coming to church. I can remember one church I went to, it looked like everybody had eaten lemons before they came and they couldn't crack a smile and be happy about church. And they looked at it where... We're being holy for God. We got to be this way. And I go, God wants joyful worship. You know, make a joyful sound unto the Lord, all you earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, Psalm 100. You know, all through Psalms, he says, make a joyful noise. God appreciates joy. He appreciates us wanting to be in his presence. And we need to be very much that way. Do we truly enjoy coming to church and being with the body of Christ? I love coming to church and being with the body of Christ and being, being together with fellow believers. To me, it is the greatest thing that can be done. And yet, I know people who it's like drudgery. Oh no, it's Sunday. I got to go to church today. You know, and there's no got to go to church for me. I want to go to church, I want to go to Bible study, I want to be with God's people. Because I need his people. I need all of that. And so we look at this and how God says, make a rejoicing with me. And as you can see, and as people have brought out, this is a party. They are able to have a party on this. They're going out and as it says, get fermented drinks. So God's recognizing that this is going to be a party. They're going to enjoy their time before him. In verse 20, and the Levites that are within your gates, you shall not forsake him, for he has no part in the inheritance with you. And this has been brought up many times. The Levites were taken to be God's people. They did not even have a choice in serving God. They were a Levite. They served God. They did not get an inheritance in the promised land. Now they did get several cities that were theirs that were where they could go and grow food and and have their herds and have their young especially in when they got to Jesus day there were so many levites and priests that they only they only worked four day, uh, four weeks a year at the temple because there were so many of them and they would be just rotating in and out of the temple and if you were a priest you would be very fortunate if you even got to go into the holy place much less the holy of holies because of how many of of them there were. And so he says, but take care of the Levites. The Levites were fed from these tithes. This is something that we want to be careful of. Even in our Christianity, it's so easy for us to pull in other things that are going on around us. Christianity has pulled in many problematic areas. The way we celebrate Christmas, most of what we celebrate as Christmas, are pagan holiday traditions, and much of what we celebrate is Easter is pagan, pagan celebrations. And we've kind of mixed them together to the point where we don't recognize the difference between the two. And we want to be very careful about that. So we want to be careful when we get into God's word and we want to say, God, how, how do we do things? How do we worship you? How do we, how do we seek after you? And even having said those things, I'm not going to criticize anybody that wants to follow these different holidays and these different things, because most people don't know what it is that they're doing anymore. They don't know all the different pieces of these, these holiday traditions that are totally based into the idol worship. We want to be careful and say, God, I want to follow you to the best of my ability. And we want to be careful that we don't start mixing the world into our theology. This is something we're seeing with the, a lot of the churches who won't call, that will not call sin, sin. And why won't they call sin? Because they don't want to offend people. Well, God calls it sin. It's got to be sin. I don't care if it offends somebody or not. I do care in one sense, but I don't care. If it's sin, it's sin. And we need to say this is what God says about these areas and follow those areas very, very carefully try to be as honest to God as we possibly can. Verse 28 At the end of three years you shall bring forth all the tithe of your increase the same year and you shall lay it within your gates and the Levites because he has no part in the inheritance with you and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within your gate shall come and shall eat and shall be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Three years if you recall, when they go into the Promised Land, they're not allowed to harvest from the trees in the land for three years, because of how much they've been polluted. They're to destroy that harvest of the trees for the first three years. So they plant, and and uh, so he says, after the three years, you bring your harvest in. You're to give your tithe to God, and you're to bring it. And it says to the Levite that is within your gate, and gate here literally means the courtyard of the tabernacle. So they were to bring it into the courtyard of the tabernacle so that the, the Levites will have their substance. And this is something that's very important. And we, we want to always keep in mind that God takes care of those that are serving him. And, and we look at this, the Levites were taken care of, the priests were taken care of. Paul is going to tell, tell the churches that you don't muzzle the... The ox, in other words, you pay the pastors and the churches because they're serving God. And it was based upon the idea of the Levites. And it says the Levite, because he has no part, and then the stranger, the followers, the widows, the you know, so orphans, and, and God takes care, has always taken care of the weak. That's always been his plan. He has always had this idea that life is so special, you're going to love one another, you're going to care for one another. And we've already talked about how the world did not have this mentality for the long time. Christianity has changed that mentality, but as we're getting further and further away from Christianity, we're seeing less and less of life being affirmed and returning back to the old ways. And this is something it is sad to see as we as Christianity wanes and and changes over the years to see how the influence of Christianity is going away and we're returning back. We're returning back to the way things used to be. Violence and and bitterness and no love for one another and no respect for life. And in those old days it was very simple. If you were strong enough you deserved to, to live. If you weren't strong enough you deserved to die. We're teaching it through evolution. The strong survive and the weak die. And When people live out the evolutionary thought process, we then get shocked because there's a massacre. Hitler was fulfilling the evolutionary process. He believed the Aryan race was the stronger race and he had the power to try to enforce it. And he killed millions of people trying to enforce his vision of purifying the human race and making sure the strongest of the human race lived. We're seeing more of that happening in our day. We're seeing it become very, it is the ultimate outcropping of the evolutionary idea. The strong survive, the weak die. And we look at that if in, in nature, if the strong were to be, you know, get sad because it killed the weak, there would be, the lion would starve to death. You know, the lion's strong, it kills to eat. And we are seeing the outcropping pushing of all of this. God says he cares for the weak, he cares for the poor, he cares for the fatherless, he cares for the widows. And how did he do this? Through the tithes and offerings at the church. Compassion. Compassion care, for, care for one another. And it is important for us to care for one another and and try to lift each other up and, and, and help each other. And right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us, you care for us. We ask that you will Guide us as we go about our work week. Help those that are having trouble with with things in their life and with family members and that you will give them the peace and the love to be able to minister to them. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.